Well, please remain standing as we come to the reading of God's Word. We're in the book of 2 Timothy. If you grab one of those pew Bibles right in front of you, we're in chapter 4. Pastor Moody preached through verses 1 to 5 last week, and I'm going to read starting in verse 5, go through verse 8 of chapter 4. Hear God's word. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come before you and we look to you now and ask for your help. Lord, I need your help as I preach. Lord, we all need help as we hear you speak through your word. Give us eyes to see clearly here in 2 Timothy, ears to hear rightly, Lord, and a heart that is ready to receive and respond in faith and obedience to all that you would teach us this morning. Lord, strengthen us in your word. In Christ's name. We pray, amen, amen. Well, in the 1920s, there was a project that was unveiled to build an ocean liner that would become the largest vessel in the world at the time. The deals were finished, the plans were drawn up, the orders were made, and an initial work had had begun. The construction was underway on this 1,000-foot ocean liner. It was a bold and grand project. The frames started to be put together, but soon the work had to be put on hold. Compromises um, had to be made because there was a dispute that had stalled the work. But as those compromises were made, also right along that same exact time was when the Great Depression hit. Work again was postponed. And then finally the work was canceled outright as there was uh, financial challenges and a collapse with one of the companies that was involved. What could have been? What a great project, the plans that had started, but unfinished work. That is the reality. It is often easy to start something, but it is not always easy to finish Paul writes in this book, this letter that we have looked at all summer, he writes to his beloved son in the faith. And he is setting before him the ministry and the task that he has been called and charged to do. And this ministry has come with many difficulties from many different angles. And here he is at the end of his life talking to Timothy who has temptation maybe to stumble in the work or maybe even to stop the work that he has been called to do. And Paul is writing him and saying, continue on, keep going, finish well. Don't just start, but finish in gospel ministry. As we've talked about, the church was facing many external problems and challenges from the emperor at that time. They faced persecution, they faced threats, but it wasn't just external opposition, there was internal opposition 
with false teaching that was going on in the church and in the community there. These threatened to derail the work. So here we have Paul laying out before Timothy what he must give himself to, but our verses in particular are giving him the motivation that he needs in order to carry on that work and even finish that work well. Friends, we're presented today with that same motivation for us to carry on with Jesus Christ, to endure in the work we have been called to do as a church, and even to finish that task. But what is the work? What have we been called? What have we been tasked to as a church? Well, for the pastoral leadership of the church, it's to build the ministries here upon the word of God. And to guard the gospel, to hold firm to it, not to compromise that message. But not only to guard the gospel, but to give that truth to the church. To build up the church in the message of the scriptures and of the gospel. Teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training. But also getting that message out into the world so that an unbelieving world would come to know the life that is in Christ. See, that is the work of the pastoral leadership of the church. But it sets this pattern for the whole church to invest themselves in it as well. Through its prayers, its resources, encouragement, and even personal investment in those same very tasks in spheres of influence. Guard the gospel. Give the truth to one another. Get that message out into the world. This is the work the church and us, college church, is tasked with. And just like in the early church, there are threats from all different angles coming at us, threatening to derail the work that we have been called to. Pressure to compromise. Itching ears to suit our own passions. Fear of even suffering for Christ. So the question before us today as we go through this text is this. Will we endure? Will we endure? Will we finish the race? Some here I know, they, they've never actually started the race. You haven't actually started on the race of following Jesus and walking with him. Well, my prayer for you this morning is that you would see that this is a race worth running, worth jumping into and giving yourself to. And there are others who are running the race, but you realize you're stumbling in this work, in what you've been called to. You're struggling through it. You're not sure if you can finish what is in front of you. And my prayer is that Paul's words would lift you up this morning and keep you going on. And there's others of you who know that the end of the race is very much so in sight. My prayer for you is that these words from Paul would help you to finish well. Even if you look back at your life with a sense of regret in the way that you have lived, my prayer is that these words this morning would help you to look forward and say, Lord, help me to finish well. So what is gonna help us to do that, to endure in the ministry God has placed before us here at College Church? Well, it's this, carry on in the work For the crown of righteousness awaits. Carry on in the work for the crown of righteousness awakes, awaits. We're going to see that in, in three movements here. We've got the time. The time is limited. We have the task. The task is difficult. But we have that day. That day 
is coming. So first, the time. Look down at verse six with me. Paul says these words, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Billy Graham once said these words. He says, rich people cannot buy more hours. Scientists cannot invent new minutes. You cannot even save time to spend it on another day. You say, I've got little time today. I'd like to save it up for tomorrow. You can't do it. Do you number your days? See, our time is limited as it was for Paul. His days were numbered. And he describes his present situation, what lies in front of him more immediately in two ways, a drink offering and a departure in verse six. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. What is he referring to? Well, in the Old Testament, the priests, they sacrificed animals and they offered sacrifices on behalf of the people upon the altar. And beside these sacrifices, there was a quart of wine that was to be poured out on the altar that would accompany the sacrifices that were made. But one of the key aspects of this drink offering is that as it's poured out onto the altar, the smell of it would rise up to God, it says, and it would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. What is Paul saying here? He knew his life would be a sacrifice to God, an offering of worship to God, but his very death, would be a pleasing aroma. He's already being poured out, meaning the process is underway. He's going to be martyred, even beheaded for the cause of Christ. And he knows that this, it's not just something to endure, but it's actually going to be a pleasing aroma to God. But it's not only a drink offering. He says the time of my departure has come. It carries with it this image of of soldiers picking up camp, taking out the tent pegs, packing up and, and moving on to the next location, maybe even going home. Or it carries with it the image of the ropes that are tied to the dock being loosed and a ship setting sail onto the waters. Paul is saying, I'm departing. I'm releasing the ropes. I'm setting sail to depart and to be with Christ. Paul's life here recalls what J.R.R. Tolkien captures captures at the end of the book, The Lord of the Rings. Frodo, he was beaten up, he was wounded, and yet he was a faithful in his call to bear the ring. The ring was destroyed and he finished the labor that, that he was called to do. And so now he stands on the shore of the Grey Havens with his good friend, Sam. And after an emotional goodbye, he steps into the white ship with Gandalf and the elves only for the ship to be loosed and to set sail into the west to see the white shores and the far green country underneath the sunrise. Paul was about to set sail. Death is often thought of, as Bill Mount says, as defeat. But Paul says death is just a departure for those who are in Christ. It is setting sail. It is departing to go be at home with the Lord in his presence. It is not defeat. So Paul is about to set sail. And his words about his situation are to help us think about two things. One, our dying and our living. 
Paul is showing how one might die well. One of the realities of working in pastoral ministry is that uh, you regularly are engaging with those who are facing death. There's often confusion, there's often fear, and other times there is great hope. But friends, if that is you here this morning, death, if you are a Christian, is not a defeat. It is a departure. It is a departure to be at home with the Lord. And Paul's death was a drink offering poured out for Christ, a pleasing aroma. Brothers and sisters, your life given in sacrifice to God, in service to God, your life and even your death can be a pleasing aroma to God. But Paul's main aim here in verse six is for his imminent dying to motivate present living, to motivate Timothy's present living and even to motivate our present living. Because all the way to the end of Paul's life, Paul's concern was for the advancement of the gospel, not only in his day, but for generations to come. He's about to die, but souls still need to hear the gospel. Timothy had to step up. Timothy had to get after the work. But Timothy too would die once. He did die. He needed to teach and train and pass on the ministry to the next generation. What this letter even uh, summarized here in these last couple verses is that each generation needs faithful saints who are gonna prepare and charge and motivate the next generation to step up and carry on the baton. And each generation needs faithful saints ready to step in and carry that work on into their own generation and beyond. College Church, I wonder, are, are we ready in a sense, to step up to the task that we have before us. The time is limited, just as it was for Paul. There's work to be done. Will you step up and get behind this gospel ministry? Will you step up and support it with your your resources and support this ministry with your prayers, but even support this ministry with your investment in the same very work, speaking the gospel, guarding the gospel, giving this truth to one another. There is work to be done. But it's not only carrying on the ministry. We too need to be ready to pass on the baton, to set up the next generation to continue on the work. We need to have a vision, not only of ministry now, but ministry 20, 40, 100 years from now, beyond our time. Ministry leaders, are you you looking to those behind you And are you charging them and preparing them and motivating them and then even passing on the baton to them so that they can carry it on? I think of families and the way that they're investing in their children. Are you not only preparing them to maybe succeed vocationally or in a job, but are you preparing them to carry on the mission of God and the work of God that they too have been called to? Older saints, Older saints, we need you. We need you to grab the younger saints and to look at them and to encourage them and motivate them to step up into the work that we have been called to as a church. The time is limited. So we, College Church, must carry on the work and we must pass on the baton as the time comes. Now we don't just get this reality of the time that's limited, we also get the task 
the task that was in front of Paul and in front of Timothy and even in front of us. This difficult task in verse 7. Paul is looking back on his ministry and he's wanting to encourage Timothy to endure, seeing that Paul himself had fulfilled what was laid before him. And he uses three metaphors to depict this. And each of these metaphors, they entail some form of struggle or difficulty or challenge that needed to be endured. And Paul's looking back on his life with with some sense of, of completion. I finished it. I finished well. I made it. His words are are reminiscent of the words he used to Timothy even in chapter 2 of a soldier and an athlete and a farmer. And Paul is putting his example as one who endured to the end. He says, I fought the good fight, verse 7. There are many fights to give yourself to. There is one fight that is the good fight. There is one fight that is worth fighting. And Paul stood against the opposition without divided pursuits, undivided in his fight and task and cause for the gospel and its advancement in the world. Paul fought the good fight. And Paul was like an an athlete and he finished the race. The course that was set before him. Even through all the challenges he endured, not veering off to the right or to the left, but he stayed the course. He said these words to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and my ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel. Paul finished the race, the course that was in front of him. And Paul kept the faith, meaning the deposit of the good, the good, the deposit of the gospel, the truths that are to guide the church and feed God's people. He guarded it. He faithfully proclaimed it. He waited for its growth amongst God's people and he endured in hope to see this grow amongst the church. He did not waver in his commitment. Verse 7. See, Paul said before Timothy this completion and this fulfillment, yet it would be a mistake for us to think that Paul here is boasting in himself or even saying that he has completed these tasks in his own strength. Some of you know the story of the Olympic runner Derek Redmond. He was a runner for Great Britain, and in 1987 he, he held the, the record for the 400-meter And and he was uh, primed and ready in the 1988 Olympics. But before it even started, he had to pull out um, because of injury. So he had all of these injuries in his career. And he had five different surgeries. And he rehabbed and he practiced. And he ended up getting onto the Olympic team in 1992 for Great Britain. And in Barcelona, he posted the fastest time in the first round. And he makes it to the semifinal with great hope and the gun goes off and he starts off very strongly and then halfway he tears his hamstring and falls to the track and he's writhing in pain but he's determined to finish the race so he stands up with a torn hamstring and starts to inch his way to the finish line 
And then suddenly you see this man running down from the stands, climbing up over the fence, coming up to Derek and putting his arm around him and carry him on to the finish line. And Derek Redmond finished the race. You see, Paul fought the good fight and it was not without opposition. He finished the race and it was not without difficulty and he kept the faith even when seasons where he did not see fruit. But how did Paul do that? Paul endured and Paul finished in the strength and the power of the living God. From start to finish, it was not just when he fell down, it was not just in moments of difficulty, but from the very beginning to the very end, he was the one who was laboring hard in the power and the strength of the Lord Jesus and his grace in his life. He's put this before Timothy throughout the entire letter, calling him to labor in this same very strength. Turn with me to chapter one of 2 Timothy. In verse seven, he says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power. Verse eight, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 12, I am convinced that he is able to guard the good deposit. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells with us, guard the good deposit. And finally, chapter two, verse one, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Friends, all these years, Paul had been depending on the power and the grace of God to empower him for the task that he was to endure. And he fought the good fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. And he did so in the power and strength of God. See, Paul is putting before Timothy and putting before us his own ministry His own example that Timothy is to follow in and we are to follow in. And so we must think, are we willing and ready to embrace these same very commitments? This hard work of gospel ministry, this good fight and being undivided in that reality, this race enduring even through the challenges that are there, but not just embracing the commitments of this ministry, but enduring in the power of God, not in our own strength. Is that what we, College Church, are going to embrace? That is the only way we are going to finish the race is in God's strength. May he give us the strength to endure. The time is certainly limited, so we must carry on the work, even pass on the baton when the time comes. The task is very difficult, but we can endure and do so in the strength that God provides Lastly, Paul concludes his charge in verse 8 with this hopeful promise of that day, that day, the appearing of our Lord. The reality is that day is coming. Paul had one ultimate hope that had driven him all of these years. It had lifted him through the darkest and most difficult days. It was the promise of of the crown that would be awarded to him on the day of Christ's coming. What is the crown? He says, it's the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness, namely eternal life. It is the righteousness of Christ that he already has by faith in the gospel, 
which he will experience fully and finally as he stands before the righteous judge. All these years, chapter 1, verse 1 says, it is the promise of life that has driven him. All these years, not only for himself, chapter 2, verse 10 says, he endured all things for the sake of God's people, those who would inherit salvation in the presence of God. Paul endured by believing in this promise and believing that it would be true for him, but not only for him, but all who would love the appearing of Jesus. At the end of his life, think about this reality. He's oozing with confidence. He's facing death and he's oozing with with confidence. He's awaiting death by the sword, but he endures because there is the promise of the crown that awaits him. Many commentators, as I was studying, they they noted this great irony in this moment for, for Paul because on earth there was a death sentence that would be set for Paul, guilty for his allegiance to Jesus, condemned in the eyes of Rome, about to be beheaded. But there's another sentence that awaits him from the righteous judge in heaven, Jesus Christ. Righteous, true citizen of heaven, life, a crown upon his head. All these words that Paul has been saying to Timothy, they're moving him to even hear the end of verse 8, that it's not only Paul, but also all who have loved his appearing, even Timothy, even us this morning. Longing, loving the coming of Christ. Words of hope for Timothy. Words of hope for us. Are you longing for Christ to come again? The voyage of the Don Treader, C.S. Lewis, uh, brings up this character, Reepicheep. He's a valiant mouse and he fought faithfully in his life, but, but he was marked by a single-minded longing for the far country of Aslan. The great lion, he's the Christ figure in this book. Hear these words of Reepicheep. While I can, I sail east in the Don Treader. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. Longing. To be with Christ. These words are to give encouragement and hope to those who are broken and beaten down by the challenges of life. Do you long for Christ? Because you love him. You want to be in his presence. A longing people is a people that does not say that this life is it. A longing people is a people that says Christ is it. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Longing for the presence of Jesus Christ. Longing to be with him and to know him. Friends, are you longing for him this morning? And on that day, for those who have trusted in Christ in this life, that day will be a day of confidence, will be a day of joy, will be a day of life. But it is true that on that day that there there is a divide and all will come to stand before the righteous judge. 
And that day will not be a day of confidence and joy and celebration for some. It will be a day of fear and dread for those who have not turned to God in repentance and faith, who have not trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, who will not be called into eternal life, but called into eternal punishment away from the presence of God. Friends, what will that day be for you? Will you be ready for that day? Are you ready to stand before the righteous judge, not claiming a righteousness of your own, but claiming the righteousness of Christ? Will it be a day of celebration and great confidence, or is it a day of of fear? But these words are written so that we might turn to the Lord in faith and in confidence and in hope in his promises, that we would stand before him on that day and be ushered into eternal life through Jesus. I think maybe... Even the church has lost a sense of its longing for eternity because we're often consumed with the realities of this world and what this world has to offer. And I think even our our longings now can be very short-sighted because we think that that day is just a removal of suffering and is just a removal of pain and sin, which is true and good, and we must hope for that reality. But at the core of our longing must be a longing for Jesus and his presence, and the life that is there. I was reminded of how the book of the Bible even ends in Revelation with this picture and this promise that Jesus will come again and the church says, amen, come Lord Jesus. May that prayer, that longing be what fills our hearts today as we walk out these doors Around the lunch table, may you encourage one another and ask one another, are you longing for the coming of Jesus? Are you looking for his appearing? Because you love him and you want to be with him in his presence for all eternity. Well, the promise of the crown, it kept Paul going. And he said it in front of Timothy and he put it even in front of us so that we too would carry on this gospel work. Because remember, the time is limited The time is limited. The time will one day come even for us. There's work to be done. We must get behind this gospel work and give ourselves to this gospel work. That is the task and it is difficult, but we can endure in the strength that the Lord provides for us so that we might not only endure, but finish and finish well. Because friends, that day is coming. That day is coming when Jesus, the righteous judge, will award us, those who trust in him, the crown of righteousness. So as we close with a song, we we sang this earlier in the service, but listen to these words of verse four that we sang. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but Christ in me. Friends, let's pray. Father in heaven, we turn to you. We thank you for these words to Timothy and these words to us 
I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that they would motivate us to continue on and carry on the work you've put in front of us as a church. That we would not only seek to start, not only seek to endure, but help us to finish well in this Christian life and in this Christian work. And would you keep us going, Lord, with these promises that you've given us with your presence with us now and the hope of eternity to come. We trust in that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.